This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right, one year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30DAYSFREE. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today. Hey guys, Billy Carson here, Forbidden Knowledge. Do you like my podcast? Well, guess what? Anchor.fm gave me this podcast for free. They give you creation tools that allow you to edit and create your podcast right on your phone or your computer. And you can even add any song from Spotify directly into your podcast. It's almost like having your own radio show. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you to Apple, Spotify, and many, many more. So go ahead and get started with Anchor.fm today. Hey, everyone. This is Billy Carson, also known as Forbidden Knowledge. A uh, quick public service announcement. I will be at the I Magi Nation workshop in Brooklyn, New York, May 23rd, 2020. It's going to be absolutely amazing. You're going to want to go to uh, the link in my bio or click on ForbiddenKnowledge.com with the number 4, 4-B-I-D-D-E-N, knowledge.com, and register for the uh, event. It's going to be an amazing six-hour workshop covering topics such as pineal gland activation, Merkaba meditations, Merkaba quantum light walking, conscious light, brain-heart coherence, and so much more. It's going to be in-depth workshop. We're also going to tap into advanced manifestation techniques. It's going to be a mind-blowing event. That's going to be May 23rd, 2020 at St. Francis College in Brooklyn, New York. Again, you're not going to want to miss it. The tickets are up on Eventbrite, and they are selling out very, very quick. Peace and love from Forbidden Knowledge. Salty producer of Ancient Aliens, please welcome to the stage, Mr. William Henry. She's an editor. She's a reporter. She has a thing called Earth Files. She now has Earth Files YouTube channel. I know most of you are hanging out with her every week. She's been with Ancient Aliens since season one. Please welcome Miss Linda Moulton House. Linda. Linda. LMH, right there. She's an expert host on deep space and ancient civilizations on Gaia TV. He's the author of Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. And I had the honor to write the foreword to that book. Woo! Creator of Forbidden Knowledge with millions of social media followers. Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Billy Carson. Woo! I got the best seat in the house. He's a leading researcher. 
specializing in ancient civilization technologies. He's also been with Ancient Aliens since season one. And this month, he is on the cover of GQ magazine. Please welcome Mr. Jason Martell. Jason, come on up. Host of America Unearthed, our good friend, and he brought the hooked X to the world. Everybody, for the first time here at Conscious Life Expo, give it up, big warm welcome, Mr. Scott Walters. Scott, come on. Now, are you ready? You guys want some surprises? Huh? Okay. But he's going to give everybody in the this room a big hug because he went from Las Vegas out chasing lightning bolts. Danny and Brinkley, Danny, come on up. First hug of the night just went down. Danny and Brinkley. And all the way from Colorado, top secret, snuck him in the back door. Are you guys ready? Emery Smith. Emery, come on up. Oh, man. Look, look, Conscious Life Expo 2020, your ancient secrets panel. Look at this. Is this amazing? I, don't, I almost don't know where to start, um, but... Uh, what, what do I do? What do I do? I'm going to ask the basic question. I'm going to start with William. We're going to go down the, the table. But I want to start here. I want to go personal. I want everybody in here to learn something. William, when did you first find out you were being lied to about lost history? What, what was that moment where you went, holy crap, the world is not what it seems? Well, I guess, I mean, probably when I was about 12. 12, my father was a, a lawyer, and he was very entrepreneurial, very maverick, like working with people that were trying to mine gold from seawater and build a perfect guitar and things like that, but always this really super esoteric stuff with PhDs. You know, it was legitimate, but they were always getting the crap kicked out of them by the U.S. government or Dow Chemical or some major corporation because wow. they're always, you know, my father was, he was an ass-kicking lawyer. He liked to punch people in the face. I mean, he was an IRS prosecutor. And then he got, went into business for himself and he didn't mind taking on the man. And he prosecuted mobsters for the IRS. And so he, well, that was his, just his MO, real tough guy. And uh, so he would work with these guys that would say, we're gonna take on Dow Chemical. And they all got squished like bugs. But all of these guys, all of these guys were into extraterrestrials. This is in the 70s. I'm 50, 57. And so, wow. and so I was 12, 12 years old in 1974. And this was before Von Donneken. They were way into this. And that, so I, they would, our house was always, my father worked at home. And so our house was always just, you know, uh, uh, 
busy place with people coming and going. I'm serving coffee. And these guys are always talking about extraterrestrials though, and this technology. And it's like, where's this technology coming from? So from that point forward, I kind of knew that, okay, um, you know, there's, there's something else going on here. Yeah, it's interesting because when you hear those stories and you go and you ask a teacher, yeah. you're not going to get an answer. You can't get something out of the library, right? Right, And that's always kind of how it starts. Exactly. I, I'm sure that you're not planting a flag here, right? That everybody in this room is like, yeah, it's going to happen. You know, that's the way it goes down. Yeah. Linda, what was the moment for you where you went, you know what? This is a bunch of BS. You know, what was, what was the moment when you figured out you were being lied to there's one and it stands out like it happened a second ago and that's when the Logan County Sheriff uh, Tex Graves when I was investigating for the first two weeks animal mutilations and had driven up to Sterling to see the files see the photos talk with sheriffs not knowing why is it that animals would be found bloodless and trackless and when the sheriff looked at me and said, straight looking into my eyes, Linda, I'll save you some time. The perpetrators are creatures from outer space. Mm. Now, Linda, let me jump in right there. Pump the brakes. That's <laughs> true. We, Linda, we all know uh, what you looked like back then, investigative journalist, you know, college, kind of, uh, What's the word I want to use here? Innocent, maybe straight. It, you were not going down this road. This was yeah. not what you were pursuing. No, I thought that the government of the United States was doing something like that way and that there was an environmental contamination. And how, did, how did that make you feel? I told my husband then, I still remember that, I'm getting into something dangerous. Mm and I may have to rent an apartment, and we had a young child, and I wouldn't be the first uh, reporter who would rent a, an apartment to stay independent of your family when you wanted to get to the bottom of something potentially dangerous. And uh, my husband said, well, we still have to get up in the morning and go to work, so whatever you're doing, really, it was almost like he stood for the world, and meanwhile, a sheriff is telling me that the perpetrators are creatures from outer space. And then, <laughs> when, when oh, okay. uh, it, and you don't have to say anything more than this. What year was this? That would have been September of 1979. <laughs> and uh, you don't need to hear anything more than this, as sitting down with a veterinarian who has done a necropsy on an animal in a pasture that was warm to touch, which means that it was not dead more than four to six hours. Mm. And the vet is saying to me, and there was no heart, and in a grown cow, it's seven by 11 <coughs> by nine or 12, depending male, female, and size, it's huge. And that there was no excision in the chest. How do you and he said, how do you get out a huge heart of an animal? And the answer today in 2020, in what may happen in another 50 years from now. I don't think what, that's the big story, wait, Linda. You know, you know what the big story decision. is? You have to go home and tell your husband that night what's going through your mind. I mean, how do you have that conversation? 
I did, I told him. And, and his answer was, well, we still have to get up in the morning, <laughs> brush our teeth and go to work. And, uh, and I know that that is a grounded, practical, human uh, right. response and probably yeah. healthy. But the thing about this is that once, in, in, in many ways, I went through Alice in Wonderland's mirror because I lived a life of grace up to that discussion with the sheriff. Uh, I did not struggle much. I had gone sailing through school and a marriage and had a beautiful child and a home and dogs and cats and I loved the work that I was doing. And yet it was, when you look back, it was as if the destiny of this life and this soul always was what the last 40 years have been, but that it took Sheriff Tex Graves to look into my eyes and say, Linda, the perpetrators are creatures from outer space. Wow. Linda Moulton Howe, right? <laughs> Billy Carson. Yes, sir. How you doing, man? Fantastic, good to be here. I like that suit, man. All right, thank you, man. This is part of my new clothing line, esoteric <laughs> swag. Oh, you know what? You. Can, can I just say this? Uh, tonight, I, I brought, uh, uh, I didn't, I did, they're in my room, uh, Billy's new uh, tennis shoes. I, I got the Compendium Thaw shoes, and uh, I'm not wearing them now. I will wear them tomorrow to everybody. I'm just going to let you know. didn't quite go with my, <laughs> with my, with my getup tonight. Uh, Billy, for yeah. you, Forbidden Knowledge yes. is is your network. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that is exactly what we're talking about tonight. Oh yeah. But here you are, uh, through your career and mm -hmm. through life, Forbidden Knowledge. Yeah. Uh, what what caused this to create? When did you realize mm -hmm. that the world wasn't uh, as it seems? Well, back in 1977, uh, we moved to uh, Miami, Florida, from New York. Went from this really nice area in uh, Queens called Cambria Heights, a nice suburb area off of Linden Boulevard at that time was nice. Um, and we moved to Opelika, Florida, which was, if anybody knows Miami, uh, we used to sleep on the floor sometimes because of the bullets coming through the house at night. A lot of gang wars and everything else, pretty bad. But uh, I used to go in the backyard and watch the airplanes go over my house because nothing else to do. Four channels on TV, no cable TV, no cell phone, no tablets, right? And there was a small airport there, the same airport that Will Smith and Martin Lawrence filmed uh, Bad Boys 2, I think. Right, right, right. So I would watch them go over, and I would just count how long it would take for them to clear the horizon. And one day, this object came across, and it cleared the horizon in seconds, not minutes. And that's when I knew I saw something amazing. Now, the word UFO didn't exist in my vocabulary. Aliens didn't exist. There weren't 24 hours of cartoons on to tell me about aliens and UFOs. I just knew that what I saw didn't have a fuselage, didn't have a cockpit and didn't have any wings or t a tail. Uh, so the next day, I went to my school, which is Rainbow Park Elementary, which is still there in Opelika, and I got all the Encyclopedia Britannicas because there was no Google. <laughs> and uh, I started researching aerospace technology from 1977. That's literally the day that I started. And as I went through these Encyclopedia Britannicas in aerospace, I couldn't find anything like what I saw. This object had cleared the horizon. It was, a, it was the shape of an oval, not circular like a perfect circle, but more oval. It was glowing like type metal. And then it came back and it hovered about, now I can estimate about 250, 300 meters above me, and shot off the way that it came in. 
and that sparked my whole researching into aerospace and technology. I researched submarines, I researched ballistic missiles, I researched the Nazis, I researched all the swept wing Trying gold to find wings. Answers, right? Couldn't You're find any answers. There right, was right. nothing there that matched what I saw. Gold wing, swept wing, delta wing. I researched everything. I became an expert by the time I was just a small you know, a preteen. Right, right. And I couldn't find it. And I knew then that this was something that either came from under the ocean in my mind or from outer space. Jason Martell, thank you for that, Billy. How are you doing, Jason? I'm good, thanks, man. You want to pull the microphone up? Sure. <laughs> Jason, uh, we, we appreciate uh, everything that you have done with Ancient Aliens and what it has done for this community. Um, something led you there. You have been speaking about this, not only uh, ancient history and technology, but the connections. And looking at you, I just don't see you doing lost history research. Uh, what happened? Well, um, you know, I, so in companion with what they said, I'll try and give a more of a life answer. So it may not be as mysterious as Linda's cool background. <laughs> um, but similar to Billy, you know, basically when I was in my 20s, I was attending college in San Diego and someone had mentioned that there was a face in pyramids on Mars. I was a waiter, you know, surfer. I didn't know anything about aliens and UFOs or any of this stuff. And so I was kind of intrigued and thought, well, why would NASA hide something like that? I'm going to kind of skip forward to and give you a couple other pieces because maybe some of my peers might not know some of this other stuff. But And so I started to look into this, and I looked into uh, Malin Space Science Systems in San Diego, and as a college student, asked Dr. Mike Malin, hey, are the face and pyramids on Mars anything artificial? He was like, no, these are natural sand and weather eroded objects, nothing to see here. Did you have this connection really quick because of college and being a student and you were able to go to a professional like this? How did you single them out? I, I just, I, I realized that Malin Space Science Systems was in San Diego where I was going to school and so just went right where the horse's mouth. Right, right. I, I just, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. You coming in as a college student asking these questions how did they respond to that? Did, were they taking you serious? They did, and it wasn't they so much as it was Dr. Mike Malin, and he was right. always very cool, and he would take my call and <laughs> answer some of my emails. Um, but I think more or less the college infrastructure at that time, it was a little bit different, you know? So writing a paper about the face on Mars in my sociology class, the teacher was like making copies and passing them out to everybody, and that kind of was different. Um, so I don't think the topics were uh, that pushed back even 20 years ago. They were like, oh, wow, this is interesting. For me, where I had a little bit of a kind of an interesting journey, though, was um, I started to develop skills as a computer person, building websites, making graphics, and doing all this stuff, and at the same time looking into these topics. And so some of the people that I was interested in at the time, Steve Neal, who's a abductee, artist, another gentleman. The named, model builder, Steve? That's right. Okay. Another gentleman named Dr. Roger Lear, who's removed alien implants. Another gentleman by the name of Whitley Strieber. Another guy named Lloyd Pye, Zachariah Sitchin. A few others where I, because of my web skills, started helping them. And so initially with Dr. Lear and Steve Neal and Whitley Strieber, they let me into this world of abduction where as a web guy, I thought, oh, this is cool, I get to go hang out with them, and then we went on the set of NBC, and there's a full enough size set where they're levitating a truck up into a UFO. There's a guy there with a hybrid alien baby, 
And basically, I'm there with Steve Neal, the model expert, and a guy is being abducted in a bed, and we're just making the aliens kind of, you know, like do this on the bed, and we're filming all this stuff. And so just being involved with these people, doing real stories around actual events, and getting to be involved with them, I think that was part of my game changing, Mm. like, holy shit, you know. (laughs) Um, And since then, you know, we've lost people like Dr. Roger Lear, we've lost Lloyd Pye, we've lost Zachariah Sitchin. Um, So I'd say the landscape has changed in that it's, I'm very grateful to at least have a voice to talk about these things, but I still think it's an open format for discovery and everyone in this room has the opportunity to, you know, pick up the mic and start contributing, so. You just reminded me of one thing, and I've I've said this enough, but uh, I've, had the opportunity, the honor to just, I, I've interviewed everybody, right? And I, I have, except for Lloyd Pye. Mm. I, I, and, and I just, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, time machine, Lloyd Pye, right? How much did he bring to the table for all of us to at least contemplate these ideas that he put forward for all of us? And thank you for that. Right, Lloyd Pye, right? Yeah. yeah? Scott, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm having a ball. Thanks for inviting me. You know, I I, I told Scott, uh, where's Serena? It's Serena, thank you for everything, right? And uh, so I said to Scott, I said, hey, man, we'd like to invite you out to the Conscious Life Expo. Well, uh, what's it like? <laughs> I said, Scott, just come on out, and uh, we'll talk about it after. And uh, how you doing, man? It's amazing. Let's, and, let's talk about it now. This yeah. is an amazing conference, is it not? Yeah. So I'm serious when I say thank you for inviting me. This is uh, it's the first day. It's been amazing, and I can't wait till tomorrow to. Uh, it only gets better, man. Yeah. yeah. Now I've heard tomorrow's going to be crazy. Is that true? Oh yeah. 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 Just wait. Everybody in here is laughing at you right oh, now. Yeah. You just wait, man. It's going to be so I'm ready. Um, Scott, one of the things that you do, you made it a life's mission to go back to ancient history, lost history, and prove the man wrong. This is what you've been doing, okay? Now, let's go back. Was it that before the Kensington Runestone, before that investigation, were you full on into this? Was there something that tipped, tipped you in this direction? No, I was not into any of this. I was, I was doing autopsies on concrete and rock, and I thought my legacy would be the work we did at the Pentagon after 9-11. Right. And, um, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> and, um, no, it, it really was. I mean, when, when you talk, I talk about the world taking a hard left turn, it was the Kensington Runestone. Right, and, right. And I have to say, I thought I did pretty good work on that. And, you know, I always joke but I don't I'm not joking when I say that I I trust rocks um, because they've never lied to me uh, some people have and the the rock told me it was real and it was authentic and I thought people would be happy I thought to myself well good for them they got one and then all of a sudden I got this pushback that I did not expect and well let me let me actually jump in because you're, you're a professional geologist, you're studying rocks, you're doing it, right? 
But suddenly, when the Kensington runestone comes along and what it represents, you know, not only for history and world history, but for this country, that led you down a million roads. You're going to Europe, you're going to Scandinavia, you're now learning rune writing and dating, and you find out one thing that we've all mentioned already, that you've been lied to, the world has been lied to, and now you've got to do something about it and you've got to fight the man. That's exactly how it went down, wasn't it? Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting, this panel that we're with, everybody has had a similar experience. It was one profound moment that, um, that influenced us all. And for me, it was this silly rock, I thought. And I had no idea that there was uh, a sacred paradigm that was being protected, and there is. Um, and I just didn't know anything about that, so I wasn't ready for it. But um, you know, I'll get I'll get punched or I'll get knocked down, but I'll get back up and I'll I'll hit you harder. And that's that's what we've tried to do. I believe that. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Scott no, I mean, Walker, you welcome. Let it get you or Scott, you, you welcome to this that. community. Yeah. Okay, Thank we you. love everything that you have done for us. <laughs> Danny Brinkley. Danny, how you doing, young man? Great. This was a this was a great question. What what changed it? What 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 at what point did you go? You know what? This ain't right. Okay, in ancient, I'm not much into UFOs. I'm, I I've seen skulls and things like that. But in 1968, I was graduated from high school and I had scholarships and track scholarships to play football, and I wanted to see Jimmy Hines run the hundred yard dash at the Olympics in the 68 Olympics in Mexico City. So I fooled my parents and my family, and when they put the money in for me to go to college, I didn't go to college, I went to Mexico. <laughs> okay, and so between, between boxing and track and field, they have a lot of water polo and synchronized skating and all kind of neck like this is a jock, I'm like a jock. I'm not thinking about that. So one of the guys says, hey look, uh, boxing, uh, track and field, and Jimmy runs on Saturday. Let's go see a pyramid. I said, look, I'm from a big city in South Carolina. You know, the population is 7,000. I know there's no damn pyramids in Mexico. They're all in Egypt, okay? The pyramids are in Egypt. So we get in the car and we drive, and about 2 o'clock in the morning we pull in a field. And we get out with our little bed rolls. And we, I laid my bedroll out, and I have a picture of this. I laid my bedroll out on this flat surface in this field in Mexico. When I woke up the next morning, I was on the sacrificial altar at Teotihuacan. <laughs> and I have a picture of God took of me. I'm buckling my pants up and pulling my shirt down. And I right. took a look at this, everybody. And I said, my God, where in the hell did this come from? I never stopped. I never stopped. I never went back. I rode buses mm. with chickens. And I saw Cancun when it did not have a paved road. Mm. I wow. saw Chetsanitsa. I saw Copan, Ishmael, Planque. I got so obsessed with the fact that two hours from Houston, you can prove that everything you ever heard about civilization is a bald-faced lie. And in two hours from Houston, so I saw the Mesoamericans in Guatemala, Honduras, and Belize, and I got so obsessed with the Maya and the Olmec cultures because in Belize, think of this, 
we discovered Neptune in 1844, and it was a big English deal. The Mayans discovered Neptune in 2134 BCE, and they carved it in a stone relief in Guatemala. They discovered Pluto then, and we didn't discover Pluto to 1932. So what is exciting for me, that was the moment when I got a chance to ride through fields of undeveloped, unlooked at, untourist sites in all of these countries about the Olmec and the Maya. And the history of the Olmec and the Maya tells us that what we believe about who we are is nowhere near the magnificence of who we are. Mm -hmm. So that was my moment, and I'm so glad that every one of you came here, and I'm so glad to see that we're all really sane as this stuff starts to show itself, and they can't hide it much longer. Oh, yeah! <laughs> 1968 in Mexico. It could have been anything. <laughs> well, I was a jock. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, you know, you, you, you got one way out in those days, man. You know, you got one way out. You played the SEC. Mm -hmm. You had one way out. Right. Real, real football. And you got one way out. So my mind was focused on that. And when I saw what they could do to you in college ball in the 60s, uh-uh. <laughs> no, I told my dad, I said, look, dad, I saw him sticking these needles in, in people's arms and yeah. uh, and cords them was illegal. Steroids were all legal. And this guy looked at me, he said, boy, he said, when you sign that piece of paper, you're just another piece of meat and I'll do to you whatever I want out of you. Wow. And that was, that was, that, that was how it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got me. This is, listen, everybody. And it killed them. Here's a guy, yeah. here's a kid going out football practice, shooting a lot of cane into his shoulders to pull them together because he has separated shoulders. He's got a needle about this long in his hip where it's a steroid, and they're putting cortisone in his ankles. Wow. And it's practice. Damn. And you think I'm going to go do that? Wow. Hell no. <laughs> okay? Listen. Aside from being dead, I've been in 94 countries. I've been in 94 countries. How many times have you been to Peru? 31. Mm. Nice. Okay, I saw Peru, listen, everybody. I saw Peru with the skulls, when you could see the skulls. When they had Dr. Jimenez Borta, he was the god of uh, Peruvian archaeology. Mm. And he had skulls with no cranial center. Mm -hmm. he, had a, he had a little alien and it looked like a damn fairy. It looked like it had wings and it was fairy. And then he had a bunch of little small ones, okay? And UFO business in, in, in Peru, this is common knowledge. Everybody's got one of these stories. This is the seven, this is the 80s. So when you, when you look at where we are and what we can look at and see, and we come together to reinforce each other, in that we have been deceived and this is just a part of the deception and people like Linda and, 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 and William and just everybody sitting here trying to keep that knowledge coming forward mm -hmm. and trying to keep their feet to the fire and keep making a difference. Well, this is an election year everybody and you know something every every four years we get the, their, the most deadliest name in the English language constituent. We can vote. <laughs> 
and we have to vote to push the fact we now have the space agency. Daniel, Paracas, the skulls. What do you think in terms of 100% extraterrestrial, hybrid? What is your perspective on the Paracas? What I think is this. There had to have been a cult or a system that set the skull, especially using cult, the skull, and how you carve and create that skull as a frequency. It's the original radio. It's the original communication system. I believe that there had to be a, a culture that worked closely with uh, whoever was occupying the planet at that particular time that created the skulls. And then, then comes the mythology, stuff like what William would think about. Here comes the mythology. But the fact that these things exist and they can't hide it from us. Like I was listening to Jim describe everybody who was inspiring, Jason inspired. These are all friends of mine. They're all dead, okay? The lucky thing that I have in this is that nobody really dies, but I'm gonna shut up. But I, I, Linda, you know, I, the fact that we can come together in sanity and have a conversation that empowers the people who sit out there and know this is all true and people who are trying to bring that information forward. I've seen everything, everybody. I've been in the mountains. I've seen a burial site. I've seen a burial site that were giants. They had to be between 16 and 19 feet tall. They had red hair and they had a, a coat on. And I went to see them in Utah with somebody. And we took the fabric from the coat and, and had it analyzed at UCLA. And this is like in the 80s. And it was from a long-haired camel that went extinct in 10,500, okay? Well, I wasn't overly impressed with that because I just deal with death and dying. But the fact that I've been able to see this stuff and tell you that I've seen this, okay? And I've looked at this stuff myself in a lot of countries because if I go somewhere, I'm going to see what their history is, what sites, and the worst thing that we went through was the Iraqi-Afghanistan war and what's happened in Syria and the destruction of sites that were vortexes and energy places and history and they blow it up and destroy it. Yeah. And you wonder who supports ISIS, who created that, where did that money come from? All those kind of things that destroy the history that reinforces who we are in an honest and forthright place and pattern. Sorry to keep talking, but I'm just glad you all are here. Thank you. Just so you know, you don't have to say anything, but you can do whatever you want, my brother. <laughs> We're just here for the ride. Emery Smith, Emery, how are you, man? Emery. I'm great, Jimmy. How you guys doing today? That's what I'm talking about. All right, Emery. I know this is going to be colorful, but I'm just going to ask you the question. All right, uh, what was it, man? What was the one point in your life? You're cruising along, and all of a sudden, you had to. To stop and say, uh, I, I'm being lied to. Well, it was a, actually a really early stage in my life. Uh, I was in first grade. Um, my dad was a highway engineer. My mom was a writer for children's books, and she had a typewriter. And after school, um, my dad loved National Geographic, so we had like every National Geographic every month. And she would lay the National Geographic out and said, I want you to type this page up. And I'm a horrible typer even to this day. I can't type. I have big crazy fingers and I was looking at you know and typing things about dinosaurs and 
Neanderthal man. And, and instead of typing when she walked out of the room, I just started reading it. And I was like, there's something missing here. It just didn't make, it, it really did not resonate with me. And I started, you know, of course, reading more and more. And, you know, I had a type of family where my dad and I watched Mutual of Omaha with Martin Perkins every Sunday. So I really had an affinity for the animals and the reptiles. And, and I would look at them not as, you know, an object, but as like a piece of art. And they made a mistake, my family, at a very young age, and they got me on microscope. No. <laughs> <laughs> Little boys do weird things with microscopes, including, you know. Do look, tell, do look, tell, do tell. I mean, I did collect some insects and look at their scales and their body, their exoskeletons. I would look at blades of grass and maple leaves. And there was like a construct to it, like a scaffolding that, that I've never seen. Like, this is a square building. There's no natural nature at all about it. And in, in nature, the scaffolding is so strong and so powerful that there was also an energetic quality to it. And that's when I knew that there was something bigger than us out there. And this is before the projects. This is what I'm talking about, second, third grade here, guys. And I just knew that there was definitely something out there that's bigger than us and especially reading National Geographic about the pyramids, I'm like, no, there's no way. And they're still talking about this today. And it just upsets me because it's such a big disinformation campaign out there. And we are part of that construct, you know, this code, this beautiful code that can create what anything. The, what was the point that converted? Well, Answer the, the question. Well, the, well, I'm working up to it. Yeah, everyone knows how I go off on tangents. I just lost control of the panel. <laughs> we got till 9.30. And the conversion point was looking at that and just saying, something's not right, and I don't believe this anymore. And I'm going to find out what it is. And uh, and thank you for that. Emory Smith. Okay, let's, let's get this started. Um, I want to discuss something really quick that is, uh, it's, it's, it's being talked about a lot right now, and we're seeing the evidence. Now, this is, when we talk about ancient history, we always think about uh, uh, Giza and Gobekli Tepe, right? You guys like that? Oh, yeah. Gobekli Tepe. Okay, but, but, there's a big but. Over here in Central and South America, uh, it, things are, are also very ancient. And we don't know a whole lot. We're not taught a whole lot about Central and South. In North America, you know, it's like we're the redheaded stepchild of human history. We don't discuss it much. But in Mexico, these objects, these carvings that are surfacing, with an obvious alien connection, some of it now with dating uh, of the organic materials is pushing back. They're throwing around dates now of 15,000 years, right? 12,000 BC. 25,000. 25,000 years. 
we're getting to a, a very extraordinary point. I'm going to start with Scott Walter on this. Scott, you're the rock guy. You're the rock star here. Have you had an opportunity to study any of these objects that have come out of Mexico? Yes, I have. And, you know... Are I, you going to use the alien word? I've never... Say alien out loud. <laughs> alien, damn it. Yeah, I said it. No, I mean, in all seriousness, not too many years ago, I would have had a really hard time but not because I, I didn't believe it. I just didn't know anything about it. It wasn't my area of interest. Describe the first, uh, for the audience, describe the first object that you observed and what appeared to have an alien connection for you. Well, I think the, the, the thing that tipped me was a small pipe that was supposed to A smoking pipe. It was a smoking pipe, and it was only about two inches long. And it was a cool little pipe, and I'll just tell you right now, we'll get it off, get it on the you table. You tested it. No, no, I okay. inhaled back in the day, I'm just going to say it. And it was a cool little pipe, and it had this face that was carved on the front of the bowl. And it had an alien Scott face. said bowl. I did. Bowl, come on, we put the stuff in. Anyway, but the eyes were carved all the way through to the, the inside chamber. And to get the pipe to draw, you'd have to cover the eyes and... It was cool. But I was sent this artifact, and I put it under the microscope, and I saw that it was filled with resin. The bowl was filled with resin, mm. all the way literally coming out the eyes. Wow. But there was sediment on top of that. And I thought, well, this is organic. This resin is organic, so I'm going to see if I can get a sample and test it. So I called the lab uh, that I typically use for C14, and I talked wait, to wait, 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 wait. I want to understand what yeah. you're suggesting here. That you have an, uh, an old pipe, stone pipe. I didn't know how. It was you used the, the word resin, not me. I you did. Said, okay. And you're saying that you scraped the resin out of <laughs> so the pipe. Did I just say that? But you're saying that you were able to possibly get an ancient resin, you don't know, out of this pipe to have it tested. Am I understanding? You are understanding, but that's not the way it went down, and, and it's important the way it went down. So as I'm talking to uh, this person, uh, I'm not going to name right now, and, and they, I told them, I said, Ah, come on, Scott. Well, I, I, no, you'll see why in a second. So I just said, how do you want me to take the sample? And he said, you know what, Scott, don't worry about it. Just send me the damn pipe. He said, oh, I'll gotcha, take it. Gotcha, gotcha. I'll do it in the lab better, and we'll test better. it. Right. Even better, exactly. Right, right. So I said, great. I loaded it up. I sent it down, and three weeks later, I got a call, and he said, Scott, do you mind paying for this up front? The testing. The testing. And I had, he'd never asked me that before. And I said... Why okay. did he ask you to pay you up front? Well, I paid him. Or paid him up front. And then the results came, and I opened it up, and there's a little code, and uh, I saw the result, and I went, holy shit. I couldn't believe it. 5,400 BP before present. Wow. 5,400 BP. 7,000... No, no, BP is... No, 5,400... Before present BP. Before so 3000 BC, 5000 years old. Right, 3, right. 3, 4, okay, that's so, still holy crap. So, yeah, I went holy crap. So I went back and I called uh, this person 
And I said, is this right? And he said, yes, it's right. And he said, by the way, don't ever send me another one of these again. Mm. What said, was the resin? <laughs> I don't know. I assume Daniel, it was Daniel. weed, probably. I don't. I, I don't know. Weed, probably. Is that what you said? <laughs> I don't oh, know. you rock guy. <laughs> okay, let's let's stay on. No, seriously, part. that's what that's what happened. But this is the point. Nobody wants to talk about this in academia. That there could be something not only this old, but maybe with an alien ET connection that is 3000 BC verifiable uh, dating. And remember, that's just the resin. That's not the artifact. That's not itself. the artifact itself, right? So it, it, must have been the good artifact stuff, huh? must have been good stuff. <laughs> must have been good stuff, I suppose, because it was pretty thick in there, and they had no trouble getting a sample. Now but remember, the sediment was on top of it. Mm. So law of superposition tells you it was the pipe first, the resin second, and then presumably buried because these things supposedly were found by this family in Mexico that laid uh, telephone cables starting uh, back in the 30s, I guess, and that's where they found these things. Now, Scott, help, help us understand uh, dating rock. How do you date rock? Are you dating the organic material around it? No, no. How, how do you date well, the rock? If you were gonna date this pipe, how would you, how would you do that? Well, you could date the rock, and you're just basically measuring the, the amount of radioactivity that is left in a certain element Decay as it decomposes yeah. along a line. But that's the rock. We don't care how old so the rock is. So the rock could be 20 million years yeah, old. Yeah, and right. it could be 20 million years old. That doesn't, that doesn't tell you when it was carved. Right? So how do you do that? How well, do you establish that? that's very difficult. Right. Now, in the case of these alien, I said it again, <laughs> artifacts, um, there are many cases where they have added um, inserts. They put, they've added adornments to these things, and many of them are beautiful. I mean, they're just amazing works of art. And that's what really attracted to me, uh, them to me in the beginning. But they're adhered to, you know, the main body of the artifact with some type of adhesive. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was probably seven or eight years ago when the, the pipe incident happened. And since that time, we've dated about seven or eight of these things and I have more work being done. Um, what are we, the results? We, what are we, you saying? What, what are the things? Yeah. I mean, you got a bunch of pipes. I mean, <laughs> after the show, we'll go there. <laughs> no, but but this this adhesive is really interesting. And I, I thought to myself when they asked me what can we do to date these, I said the the, the lithic or the the stone artifacts. We can't do anything dating wise. Um, you could have done something archaeologically at the time it was, ex you know, it was excavated, but most of these mm. haven't been professionally excavated, so now we have to go to plan B, really this is plan B. But these adhesives we tested so far, we've, I think we got seven or eight dates so far, and they range from 5,400 is the youngest mm. wow. to over 19,000. This is incredible. And, 19, and I was going to ask him, uh, the year before John Anthony West passed, uh, he took me aside over at contact, and he said, you know, that Shock and I have always said that the Sphinx was at least 14,000 years right. old. He said, Linda, it's 40. Mm. Now, what is interesting to me, that was, uh, what, I think John passed three years ago? Two years ago. No, two years. Even that long ago. Yeah, Maybe two years. Two years. Two years. Uh, 
when I started working with the SEAL and the uh, Marine analyst on the film uh, Antarctica, and when the SEAL told me that the archaeologists, he had different missions getting, uh, extracting scientists in difficult parts of the world. That's part of the reason why he was in Antarctica. And then he had another assignment in, uh, in Egypt. And he said that one of the scientists that he extracted said, the Sphinx is at least 40,000 years old. Is there any way to definitively prove that today in 2020 with a technology? Well, I, th there is a way. It's it's getting the right samples, and that's that's the difficult part because the technology for dating is there. If we're talking about carbon fourteen dating, we can only go back about fifty thousand years, and then the half life of its deterioration really it doesn't work anymore. And but but what would you use to what would you use to confirm and put on the front page above the fold of the New York Times <laughs> well, that uh, the Sphinx is forty thousand years old? I'm serious. I would well, like to do that. Well, if you can get something that you could reliably date, I think you can do it. The one nice thing about our world today, um, given all the crap that we deal with and, and the lies and the and, and you know all the crap that's out there, I think people. First of all, they, under, they, they believe in the technology of these, right? Because everybody has one. And they believe in, um, I think, the science of things like uh, carbon dating, uh, DNA. I mean, people just accept the results. And, you know, the, so I think if we could find something that we could get reliable dates, once you put it out there, I think that people would believe that. Yeah. You know? And, and, and the, other, the other side of it is, how are you gonna, if you get these hard dates, how are you gonna refute it? But yeah, gonna, but they fight back, they push back. Yeah. John Anthony so West and Robert Schock compiled the most compelling uh, oh. evidence, and in 1992, when they brought all of this forward, the geologists, the professionals in the country said, you know what, bring us evidence of anything before 3000 BC, it doesn't exist, but if it does, then we have a conversation. Yeah. At that time, Gobekli Tepe wasn't discovered yet. They that used, didn't happen until 1995. Yeah, but they used weathering. Water weathering is what shock and interval. It wasn't good enough for the geologists, well, though, made, and they, they were able to counter That the page of the New York Times it when they said it's But they, what I'm saying is, when of course we know about the pushback that those guys faced, and it was harsh. But Jimmy, look, watch. I, I was in that war in those times with uh, with uh, with Robert Bivall and John Anthony West and Zahia Wast. All of that warring times when it was horrible. You got to remember they pushed back. We still get told today by Egyptologists that the pyramids were tombs. Mm -hmm. Okay, now right, the, right. the standard thing you hear. If you've ever been there more than exactly nine seconds, you know there's a bald-faced lie. Yeah. That's right. It's not true. Yeah, it's a bald-faced lie. Okay, so when all of this is going on, no matter what they tell you, they don't believe it either. I mean, Zahir Was is a really good friend of mine, and we've been friends a long time. Like, I wanted to, like, Zahir, uh, uh, is a long-time friend, but... I want to tell you a story about, uh, oh God, this is, oh, I'm sorry, Zachariah. I was going with Zachariah to Baalbek, okay? Well, one of the other persons with us got their passports forged at the wrong 
forging shop in Cairo <laughs> so that we could cross into Syria and go from Syria into Lebanon, the back way through the anti-Lebanese mountains. So, uh, so Zachariah, being a Russian Jew, was flipping out whether they were going to take his passport, and we had to sit there for eight hours before we got to Baalbek. And I had to listen to the entire story and the history of him telling me about how he came to believe in extraterrestrials. And it's just like what Linda's saying. His biggest day, when we got to, when we got to Baalbek, there is nothing that you can conceive of more magnificent than this building. And no Romans could have built this building. You can't build a hundred tons. You cannot move a hundred tons. Thousand you, tons. I mean, a thousand, thousand tons. tons. And yes. you look at these. You stand there and you look at it, and watching uh, watching him look at it is probably one of the greatest moments you'll ever have. In that time. block is as big oh. as this room. Yeah. But it was built for people that were 17 to 21 feet tall. When you go right. to the right. Temple of Bacchus and you look at it, and you look at those those towers, here are towers that are carved from a certain kind of blue marble, okay? And this is something that Scott would look at. It's a certain kind of blue marble that you only find it in lower Egypt. These columns are 32 feet tall. Okay, and they're there today. Now, how in the hell do you get them from whenever it was across the desert? You can't come up the Nile. You got to come over the Atlas Mountains. You got to come over the Anti-Lebanese Mountains to get these columns there. But damn if they're not there. Okay, so I, just looking back at the people, Zahi, I mean uh, Zachariah's greatest day was when the genome came into existence and they had mapped the DNA and they had mapped your genome mm -hmm. and that they discovered 129 bacteria in the lower base of your spine that were alien bacteria not found on the earth, okay? That was his biggest moment because the New York Times published it on the front page. He called me, I talked to John Anthony West uh, probably six days before he passed because he was working on another show he had gotten even deeper into looking at it with what, what Shock is, which is a geologist, and he was creating another show. But when you have uh, watching Zachariah and the 12th planet, and it made his whole life's work this, and to have it on the New York Times to say that these bacteria were not identified, and he had read it and converted it in text that he got from the Sumerian culture was a big day. So I mean, this if you think if you think about somebody who helped us get here, uh, Zachariah was one of those people, and he was a funny little man thinking he was going to get executed being a Russian Jew at the serious Lebanese border. <laughs> Danny, thank you. You know, I just learned something. Didn't we all just learn? Do you feel smarter right now, William? Okay. Now. I want you to be honest, okay. and you're, you're a spiritual man. Yes, sir. You're, you're not going to tell me a fit. Yes, sir. Okay. I like that. Well, maybe. Is this. <laughs> <laughs> there is something that didn't appear in ancient aliens. There is something that maybe you don't speak about. Something that you know is 
an ancient secret, something that is not spoken about, something that is not on television or in education or it's just not out there. You know something. What is it? <laughs> Come on, Billy. Listen, I've had a lot of conversations. Well, I was with there William. the day that. Hold on, let me just say this. And every time William and I get into this kind of conversation, I get something out of him, and he always says, Jimmy, I've never said this before. That's what I want. Well, I was there the day. I better have to say that. See? Am <laughs> I right? Lunch that yeah. I had, William? No, come on. Break it out, William. Break it no, out. you know, I mean, I'm Hold a Hold on, let me, let me move this forward. <laughs> a lot of people don't like this, but I'm, I'm a Jesus freak. And in all the ancient aliens pitches all through the years, it's like, well, what about, what about the Essenes calling in this high celestial being, an extraterrestrial being, and genetically altering a whole class of priestesses to be able to be carriers of this divine child. Let's talk about that. And they, they say, that would be the last episode. Yes. <laughs> we will never, ever talk about that. I don't care if you've written a book about it. I don't care if you've mm. done the research. I don't care if you got the facts from, from Edgar Cayce, yeah. from the Dead Sea Scrolls. I don't care if that is what is at the core of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is what it is. Right. Is that they brought in an extraterrestrial being and they were going to link Earth with a celestial city inhabited by just humans made perfect and angels gathered in joyful assembly. This is an extraterrestrial disclosure beginning about 100 years before the time of Jesus. And he is the fulfillment of all of the disclosure discussions, even to this day. And it will never be discussed. Why? Can I yeah. add to this? Okay. this is so you know what? I've lost control of the panel. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Really important because uh, in 1983, April right. 9th, when I was at Curly working on that HBO documentary, mm. and that the uh, AFOSI agent uh, told me that he wanted me to move from the chair that I was sitting in in front of the desk to one that was right in the middle of the uh, room. Was this at Kirkland? This is at Kirkland. Uh, and uh, later on, I would learn from somebody who actually saw the videotape of me in the room. That's why they had me, they, they got me on videotape that day. They wanted my reaction. And the, uh, here's the way I remember the two paragraphs were juxtaposed in this several page document allegedly for the President of the United States of America on the subject of unidentified aerial craft and it put in parents UAC and also used UAV through this document. And here are the two paragraphs that I still remember reading over and over and over again. Extraterrestrial biological entities manipulated DNA in already evolving primates to create homo sapien and use the Latin homo sapien. And it was either the next or the second next paragraph. 2,000 years ago, a being was created by these extraterrestrial biological entities to be placed on this earth to teach homo sapien about love and nonviolence. The next two sentences, for some reason, my mind is blank, but the last sentence, and the homo sapien killed all three. Hmm. 
That that's literal what I read at mm -hmm. Portland Air Force Base on April 9th, 1983. Wow. Yeah. And when I looked up at Richard Doty sitting behind that desk, and said, "We're talking about Jesus Christ here." Right. I was going to say this is we're talking about Jesus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> have you ever seen? Yeshua. Have you ever seen anybody blush? Like of elevators going up there. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I watched his skin fill up like Casper the Goat. And at that moment, uh, I was uh, so provoked by what I was reading and thinking. Did you understand what you were reading? I mean, at that moment? That's a pretty heavy. Yeah. Well, you know, I could. I, I, something really important did happen. Uh, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever talked about this. In this is what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> I had to go from Kirtland down south to meet up with Tom Adams, Gary Massey, I don't think John Lear was in that group. Um, it was a group of six, seven guys and I were going to get together and talk about animal mutilations. And what I remember is that I, I had a bus because I had flown to Albuquerque, so I was on a bus ride. And the whole way down to this meeting with those guys down in uh, southern uh, Colorado somewhere, maybe Alamosa. And, uh, by the time I got to the meeting, and they picked me up at the bus station, these seven guys, I said zero, nothing. And I became aware, here are, these are my friends, uh, these are guys that we did talk a lot about animal mutilations and I didn't tell them one thing. I didn't tell them about the document that I read. I didn't tell them that I had been at Kirtland Air Force Base, and I didn't tell them about those paragraphs. And the next day, uh, I got home, I'm pretty sure it was late enough that my then young daughter was in bed, and I'd always had this uh, routine where I would go in and I had a certain prayer with her and every night, and it always started out, Holy Father, Holy Mother, Jesus Christ. And then we would go into, not because I'm a Catholic, uh, but because of things I've had happen in my life, I have been saved from what would have been death under normal circumstances. I've been saved twice by a blazing white cross that has tied me to a conviction that our souls can reach out to something that is right there. And so I'm sitting, I'm sitting with my daughter in a dark room. I remember there was a nightlight in the wall. And I started, I was happy to be with her, but I didn't know that something was really off inside me until I started our prayer. Holy Father, Holy Mother, and I couldn't say, Jesus. And I became aware 
that something was struggling inside of me that I had not been able to get a hold of. And then I knew that the last thing I wanted to do, if I couldn't talk with my male colleagues about any of it, I sure as hell was not gonna break down there with my daughter. So I finished out the prayer and I walked out of her room and I closed her door and it was a two-story house and there was a big banister that went into these kind of spirally staircase down. And it was just about five feet. And I grabbed a hold of the banister and I fell to my knees and I began vomit sobbing. There's no other way to put it, just vomit sobbing. And I hurt so badly because I didn't want my daughter to hear anything. And I remember I grabbed, I was trying to get my body to stop and I was holding on to the banister, trying to pull myself up. And this is what happened. And if it helps any of you, then there's, this is the reason for telling this story. What I was seeing in my mind's eye as I was vomit sobbing, hanging on to the banister were those words in that document. Extraterrestrials created a being to be placed here 2,000 years ago. And I just kept seeing it over and over. And then came this thought voice that has been with me since I was two or three years old. It's protected me my whole life. And this thought voice said, what difference does it make if Christ was human or extraterrestrial? And it was like everything lifted. I stopped crying. I stood up, it was all gone. And from that moment forward, I don't think that there is a subject that anybody could be put in front of me that I would have that reaction again. And I've often thought that's what the whole world has to go through. I love you guys. Wow. There you go. Got some tears coming down. <laughs> Linda Moulton Howe. Well, I, I have never told anybody that before, but I think that it is a sign of the times with coronavirus uh, now raging and the potential for geopolitical chaos and more and more volcanoes and earthquakes. We don't know for sure in this unstable planet what we will face, but I really, honest to God, <clears throat> I think we have souls. I think those souls can reach out. And I think that we are in this revolutionary time, which what happened to me at the banister is what this world has to go through. And I'm not afraid of it. I hope that all of us are gonna be able to help all of you and vice versa, because I think it has to happen 
or we're not going to survive as a species. So Linda, you're declaring that what you believe is that the Christ consciousness, the story of the birth of Christianity was a, uh, a hybrid or a extraterrestrial or a cloned being that was placed here? Is that what you're saying? It could be any of those three, Daniel, and another, I've never talked to anybody about this either, but it's very related. I was in Brazil uh, in Corguinho in February of 2002, and for those of you who are familiar with my uh, Earth Files website, uh, it was a case where a man had an orchid light come into his bedroom. He was lying on a blue and white cotton uh, bedsheet. And uh, I'd gotten a call from people saying, do you want to come down and investigate? His body is scorched into the cotton sheet. Uh, his body is scorched into the wood above the bed. Um, and uh, I went down there and I was able to get samples from everything. And it's a big, long story. Uh, while I'm in the process of gathering all of this information and, and beginning to talk with this uh, farmer, it was a farmer and it was his grandparents and his mom and dad and it was a family-owned operation, he told me through Portuguese translators that he had been abducted four or five times in his life, always by the blondes. And the, that was the second to the, what I was going to leave two days later. So we were at night and I had a lot of questions and I asked him if we could stay up and talk through the Portuguese translators. And I had two and it was Yuranjir uh, Oliveira and three or four family members and we were sitting around candles. I remember that, there was no electricity. We were sitting around candles. And I had been exposed to what I had told you from 1983. This is now 2002. And I'm asking questions about the agenda of the mysterious blondes. And he had drawn for me, it was the classic blonde with the crystal blue eyes and the very white skin and the high cheekbones. And all of a sudden, in the translation, I'm, I've still got the notebook, he said, you might be interested in what they told me about now and 2,000 years ago. And this is what he told me in a compressed form. He said that the blonde ETs had shown him both on a screen and telepathic download that Christ was a scientist, that it was a mission, uh, that the uh, Mary, the Magdalene, Mary, the mother, uh, John the Baptist, Christ, Anna of the Essenes had come together as a science team because they were able, and he drew, he drew little pictures. He's not talking in English, it's Portuguese, but, but he's drawing and they're translating. But Linda, what are you saying that Jesus said? Well, I'm coming to this because this is really important what he said. He said, they, they can come up out of time and they can look on timelines. And they saw that in the year 2012, there was going to be catastrophe in this planet. And that they had a vested interest in the planet without explaining why. And that they had learned that when they saw in some planetary system that they were interacting with, that there was going to be a cataclysm or some problem 
They couldn't come into the timeline near the event. They had to go back in time and impact to change what they saw. And he said that was the way the blondes explained that the Christ mission was a science mission through time to avert in the year 2012 a cataclysm on the earth. Why, why would that be? Let me, I'm gonna uh, ask Danny this. Uh, why would that be a big deal? Because look. Do you understand what I, I mean? What's the what, difference? What, watch, what happens? Here's the difference, and I was glad that Linda created the dialogue. Let's watch everybody. Absolutely. We already know. Everybody sitting in this room has no doubt whether there's extraterrestrial and or interdimensional. We already know that. We're trying to find useful, constructive information so we can watch 5G and we can see what microwaving is and we can see that when they used to talk about, when they talked about in the 20s or the 30s how they were going to put a, a grid around the earth and people can escape. I remember David Wilcox talking about whether you could escape or not escape and you were prison planet. Now you have a, a microwave system, a gamma microwave system in the 5G system that says that's come true. Okay, so when you start to look at this, from what's going to happen, okay, from from the space mission and the research that these people have done, it's going to come up with religion. It'll deal with religion. What happens if if an extraterrestrial doesn't accept Jesus Christ as its only Savior? What, what are you going to do when a flying saucer lands okay, and Jesus but, steps off of well, it? Well, wait a second. Why? <laughs> this is why I was talking to asking Linda. Right. I was trying to pin down this because it, then there is a prophetic position. You know, we, we're we're not waiting for the next flash, everybody. We can research this information on our own and come to our own conclusions. That's because right. I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff because I believe that we're at a monumental point in this in this country and in this earth based on systems and what the Mayans believe because. When you people say, well, I don't believe that's really true. I got to get a coffee and go to work. Well, true magnetic north is in Siberia, everybody. If you want to see where true magnetic north, which was 12 degrees east, 12 degrees um, east of, of north, okay? Well, it's now moved 40 miles. So when you have magnetic north wobbling this earth, there's something happening. And, you know, this is a part of it, but once you look at two things about extraterrestrials, two things, when Linda was talking about the exploration and them looking at the way we intake food and the way we reproduce and the way we move food through our system, okay, what all those, what all those mutilations were about, they took certain organs. Okay, so they're looking for a system of how we function, what we eat, and all of that. But when you start to realize we're going to have to support so many of the people who have lived in a religious system to come to realize that that system is going to be faulty when these discoveries come forth. And why I think, like Linda is saying, why I think that this is important, when you saw Trump at Davos, and you saw him giving a speech about where the world was going. 
and he said there are secrets that and there's information that's going to come out that you won't believe if you go look at that video and you look at his facial expression he's like a 12 year old kid he knows something that is unbelievably and phenomenal and I know firsthand, and I know the person who was with him in July this past year, Donald Trump was given something to read, and it was about an extraterrestrial biological entity at Los Alamos that we were had friendly relationships and was helping guide us, and that the year 2020 was pivotal and that this person that I know watched Donald Trump read this in July. Well, so he's he should tweet it then very soon, I would think. <laughs> yeah. uh, let, me, let me switch gears a little bit, and I, I, believe it or not, uh, we've only got a little bit of time left, and we've got a lot more to discuss. But staying on the same lines, Billy, when we talk about and I've heard Homo sapiens sapiens a couple yeah. of times tonight. We know about the timeline of 200,000 years. I've heard Sitchin mentioned tonight uh, from Danny, and we're talking about these dates that are pushing things back. Uh, Linda's point about Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago, which is a, a very big deal. You've been writing about going back to Sitchin. If we push these dates back, not 200,000 years, but 400,000 years, of DNA manipulation, uh, a technical civilization back then that that has uh, come and gone. That's where we are at today. And if we're talking about ancient secrets and and denial of our past, mm -hmm. it would kind of start there, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, I've read now over a thousand texts, scriptures, cylinder scrolls, cuneiform tablets, uh, books, over many over twenty years. You know, just researching these things and. Um, what I've come to understand is that uh, about 450,000 years ago is when these beings kind of really, the, the ones that we talk about the most, because there were other people here already before them, but the ones we talk about the most, which are these Anunnaki slash Atlantean people, arrived about 450,000 years ago on this planet. Now, they did the work themselves. We were already here. There was already a Ubaid culture here which were these, uh, the statuettes have been discovered in Iraq. They're very reptilian looking people. There's about maybe over 80 or 90 of them. Some have looked like kings, some look like working class people. A woman's breastfeeding, a reptilian lady is breastfeeding a baby. Uh, the men have loincloths on. Some have staffs that represent some type of kingship or leadership. Um, but so they were here even, you know, alongside of the hominids that were here, which were probably our cousins. And uh, according to these tablets, and I'm not talking about anything that's new age or just freshly translated. I'm talking about translated since the 1800s. Uh, some of these translations are in the Cambridge Library. Uh, these beings were here marking this land, according to the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation and the Atra Asis Epic. And at some point, they, they went to battle. They were going to go to battle. So the fallen angels came down from <coughs> Mars. They fell from Mars to Earth. They were getting ready to go to battle against Enki and Enlil, the kings of Earth, in South Africa, where the first gold mines were discovered about 200,000 years ago, um, well documented now. And a decision was made to genetically modify the existing hominid on this planet, creating a worker race, uh, a slave race. And that's exactly what they did. Um, and that's where we then became Homo sapiens sapiens. 
Now, where our junk DNA comes from is they, it's not junk. We've been disconnected. I think that our ancestors, our cousins, which were hominids, were much more intelligent than us. Maybe not technologically, but spiritually. I think they had bigger brains. I think they had bigger pineal glands. I believe that more of their DNA was connected. They were spiritually in tune. They may have even been telepathic. Might not even have to speak with their mouths. Um, and then we came along, and we've got smaller brains, smaller pineal glands, Scientists and biologists now have discovered that there's a worship gene injected into the human genome. A gene makes people prone to want to worship. And also, of course, chromosome number two being taken out about 200,000 years ago, fused together in telomere caps put on each end to shorten our lifespans. When I look into the Sumerian tablets and I see where it talks about the Tower of Babel incident, where um, the, the tower was knocked down, and uh, then Enlil, who's known as Yahweh, says, my seed shall not abide a man forever, his years shall be 120. And that made it into the modern day Bible. Well, you, if you analyze that, look at the science coming out of Harvard, they discovered that a human being should live to about 120 years under the most pristine conditions. And they discovered that this chromosome number two was genetically modified about 200,000 years ago, even though they can't figure out who or how. Well, we know how, because it's talked about in these ancient texts. Uh, so it was a genetic modification done by these beings, and uh, when you, anything that you look at that's a, uh, you know, a megalithic structure on this planet, just triple the dates. Whatever date you get, add triple it. I talk about in my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, I talk about the fact that uh, you know, uh, after the first great flood, 36,000 years ago, Thoth was sent on a mission by his father Enki to help kickstart civilization back in the land of Kem, which is ancient Egypt. I also hypothesized along the lines of what William and Linda were talking about, that Jesus Christ, Yeshua, uh, may be an incarnation of Thoth, or, in my personal opinion, a uh, you know uh, artificially inseminated very, uh, son of, of Thoth. It's actually in the book, uh, and that. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> yes, Mr. Brown. <Brinkley. laughs> this becomes listen, listen. This is going to become the important issue, everybody. We have friends that when this stuff comes out and just listening to this kid talk I mean Zachariah is the one who translated this stuff and I can appreciate Zachariah, listening to Billy helps me appreciate Zachariah Absolutely. because he translated this stuff but look, we're going to have friends and people we care about that's going to have to deal with their spiritual nature from a religious point of view as this stuff is coming out and these millennials, these kids that are here millennials. And one of the things we, we sort of left behind with the Zechariah story was the slave race theory. That was Zechariah yeah. made that up. He even says he doesn't know why the Anunnaki came here. Uh, I think they came here for gold. There is not a single text that says that. Well, in the Anunnaki Elish, it says that. Slave race, as servants of the gods is what it says. What did, they, what, did they, what did humans serve the gods? What, <laughs> what they the gods was food. And what that means from an alchemical perspective is that the gods were pure beings. They didn't want impure food 
served to them by impure humans. So what that meant is not that they created humans as slaves, it meant that they trained a certain class of humans to transform into pure beings like the gods. And that is what Sitchin never really apprehended, is that the Anunnaki were here to assist us in transforming into celestial beings ourselves, not to serve them by digging ditches and giving oh, gold, rather to become like them. I don't know. And that's why they transformed our DNA. That's why they they activated chromosome two, did all that stuff to activate our neocortex. Well, so that's not that's not what's important here, though. Either story could be right. Either interpretation could sure. be right. But when we're messing around with 250,000 or 400,000 sure. years of a timeline that is not spoken about, especially when we are only dated to 150,000, max 200,000 years old. To the Christian, 6,000. 6,000, okay, all right. Get real. But that, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, the 200,000 year figure, that refers to the activation of our neocortex. And then the neocortex stays dormant for about Here, speak in the microphone. That 200,000 year figure refers to the activation of the neocortex. And then the neocortex lays dormant for another 150,000 years. There is no archaeological evidence for the global superbrain or anything like that until 50,000 years ago. So, Which, again, doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't fit in an evolutionary timeline. No. At, at all. I've got to inject something well, here, no, let, me, let me just say this, and then yeah. it's, it's okay. all yours. Yeah. I'll, I'll, gain, I'll give you control. <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had an anthropologist, uh, archaeologist on. I'm not going to say who. It's, that wouldn't be cool. When I brought up chromosomes two and three, and when I brought up a 150,000-year-old homo sapien timeline and how we could explain away how we just appeared here at that time, he said, you know, Jimmy, you don't get it. We know it can happen. We know that two and three can happen. Also seven, chromosome seven. We didn't even bring that up. Um, but we know how evolution happened between uh, Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal and Homo sapiens sapiens. Go, going back to Lucy, I said, well, what's the evidence? Well, we understand how it can happen. That's not the way I want to hear it. Either give me the definitive situations here and how you can explain chromosomes two and three, how we only have 46 pairs versus primates with 48, but yet, we're smarter than them. We need these explanations. We need yeah. this is the stuff that they're hiding from us. Well, and then the other part of that too is that it's irrelevant because within five years, with five G kicking in, we're in the same relative position that Neanderthal was during the end of the Younger Dryas, the end of the last ice age. And they we're, were at the Super Bowl stadium last week when they announced <laughs> Verizon's got five G yeah. blasting yeah. through the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm like, wow, everybody there just got cooked. As transhumanism kicks in, Homo sapiens going to be, we're either going to merge with AI or we're going to be eliminated by AI. It's one of the two. And now you're starting to talk about excitement. Yeah. Exactly. And so this is a really important conversation that we're having about the distant past, but it's also this present moment is the most important in all of human history because Homo sapien, again, is on the cusp of being just eliminated from this planet, it's either gonna merge with AI or be transformed by AI or eliminated by AI. And 
this is what we also have to be discussing is in terms of contemporary secrets about what is really going on with this technology and, and the transformation that's about to just pour over this planet like a tsunami that nobody is ready for. Can I, is it okay with everybody if I change the subject just a little bit and talk about UFOs? Oh yeah, Billy, oh I'm sorry. Billy, you have control. Okay. What I want to say was, um, everybody said it. You're going to get a t-shirt after that. That was good, thank you. My research into ancient tablets and texts is extremely and extensive, and it goes back a very long time. And anybody can translate the text. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to go to any college. You can go to the UCLA, UCLA CDLI online cuneiform digital library. Chicago, can, too. Yeah. Chicago, Chicago, too. Chicago, too. You can translate yeah. these texts for yourself. The Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation, as well as the Atraasis Epic and the Epic of Gilgamesh, were translated before Zachariah Sitchin was even born. And a lot of the information that he gathered or to create his stories came from pre-translated text. When you go into these texts yourself to analyze it for yourself and read them, now I, I, I implore everyone here to do that. That's one of the biggest things that I'm on. I like to create researchers. I want you guys to go out there and download the Enuma Elish, download the Atreus Epic, or buy it, and read it for yourself. Come up with your own conclusion. But the conclusion that I came up with is that these beings, at some point, Enki is the, is the, the good one, if you want to call it that. The guy who put the essence in us to give us the capability to transcend, to be multidimensional beings, to actually even excel past the Anunnaki themselves. And this is why him and his brother were at odds. But when you look at the raw basis of the story, at some point there was a genetic manipulation that did occur in order to put human beings to work for at some stage. When you go to Egypt, which I've been there, um, and you go to these places where they have the altars at some of these temples, I always get homegrown Egyptologists, I get homegrown guides, I don't like to get the commercialized people, and they will tell you that the reason why people were bringing food and, and bringing their best offerings were because these were for the Anunnaki to eat. And it was, oh, you get in line, you come down here, we're going to give you a blessing. If your kid is sick or whatever, you, know, you, you want me to, to bless your household, you bring us these offerings, it's, it's their food. That's how they ate. So it's, it's well known in, uh, in the area that that's what that was, that you bring these offerings. And if you go back to the, um, you know, looking at the, the bloodline that established the Yeshua bloodline, and you read the Apocrypha text, you discover that Jesus' grandmother was a virgin birth. She was a virgin birth. Nobody ever really talks about that. Nobody ever really talks about the book of Jesus' wife at Harvard University as well. Finally, we're getting somewhere. Okay. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot to this story. The Gospel of the Holy Twelve, which I have a copy of those scriptures, which talks about where he was when he left the Bible at the age of 12 to 32, Traveling to Egypt, and I went to the house that he lived in in Egypt, okay, with his mom. It's a shrine. It's, a, it's in Coptic Cairo. Mm -hmm. Learning the Egyptian mysteries, which is what? The words of folk, the Atlantean. And then going to Tibet to learn Reiki healing, going to India, learn the mystic arts, and teaching reincarnation the whole way back. So there's a lot of information out there, but you've got to pull down all these sources. 
Uh, you know, so it's just it's just a lot. Or Bob Bailey's book. why I wanted to actually swing the subject uh, uh, sort of over into the UFO uh, topic because of the way it's front and center today. We have uh, all of us, uh, not only in this room, but across this uh, table here and this panel, have been pushing for this and pushing for it and pushing for it and pushing for it. Finally, these answers are starting to reveal themselves out in the public today, and we can freely talk about it. But I went uh, last week, I, I went through the historical record of documented, outside of UFO research, I went traditional, of comments that were documented in the historical record of references to something in the sky. I went back to 75 BC, I got something. 130 BC, I got something. Wow. 30 BC describing things in the sky that it is not the imagination. This isn't science fiction. This isn't somebody creating. What are you seeing at, at 100 BC that is flying in the sky when you haven't seen a movie like this? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so when you do that, and, and today we're talking about UFOs, now we're going to go back now and be forced to uh, say, wait a minute. This has been talked about in ancient times, but we've been denied these facts. We've been laughed at. This is a part of uh, ancient history now that has been proven. So how are we gonna go back and correct the historical records? These are true ancient secrets. This is stuff that has not been discussed. So what are we gonna do about that? We have to, before look to the future, we have to go back and correct the past, don't we? Mm-hmm. Linda? Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking that what links to everything he said is, it's my understanding, because I was supposed to be allowed to go to San Antonio to interview the captain who stayed with one of the extraterrestrial biological entities that they picked up from a crash site in 49, Mm. not 47. Where was it? And it was... um, in the Roswell region, but I don't have latitude, longitude. And I was, was this Corona or Aztec? Aztec? This was in the Roswell region, that's in 49. Not something that, that is documented. And uh, I had uh, an airline ticket and everything ready to go. And he, they said he was dying of prostate cancer and that he had had a, an ability to get the beings telepathy and that he had been assigned and he was the captain at Los Alamos. Now which being at Los Alamos at which time is part of what I was supposed to get straight. And uh, at midnight I got that the infamous, infamous call, uh, the permission has been rescinded, but you may submit questions. So I sent 100 questions. And I got back about 30 answers. And one of my questions was, is uh, reincarnation, the recycling of souls, a fact, a physical fact? That's the way I asked. And the answer that I got, I did get back, came back to me in the mail, answers allegedly from this man. And he said, from the 
telepathic communication that he had gotten from the being who said, we made you, we put you here, but you have to live it. And the answer on reincarnation was the recycling of souls is the machinery of this universe. Mm. And that I'm is with allegedly that. I'm with that. and that is allegedly on that the words I have just said to you. That every day they brought in a sixteen millimeter camera and they set the captain that I was to interview down next to the Eben. And uh, the man who was setting this up said it's a little bit like watching Charlie McCarthy because the being doesn't talk. The captain is the one who did the talking. And he would say with the film running, here's my question, here's what he said, and that that went on for three years. And then that was the being that died on June 18, 1952 of unknown causes. Incredible, wow, yeah. incredible, incredible. So, We've got, oh, hold, I'm just gonna say this, I don't want everybody to get bumped out. We have 15 minutes left. Yes, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Overtime. Be happy. Yeah, who said that, Eric? <laughs> OT. Uh, we've got uh, 15 minutes left, and I want to start at, uh, I want to give everybody an opportunity here. This is, we're going to start with Emery. This is the Ancient Secrets panel, and everybody here came in knowing this tonight. Emery. What's your favorite ancient secret? What's the thing we should be talking about right now? I think we are talking about it. I think we should know more about you know, the Anunnaki, number one, and we have more you know, clarity on that because I was exposed to a lot of files and stuff at Kirtland with these individuals. And, uh, but it is you know, secondhand information, and some of the information that was given to me uh, less than 5% is disinformation, just in case, uh, sure. for some reason, I come in front of a panel. <laughs> people <laughs> don't all believe it. And I think there's something to that because there were craft that, um, and I've seen the videos and the pictures from these craft, and also uh, parts of bodies that these craft, uh, Anunnaki weren't vegetarians, is what I'm getting at. And uh, some of these larger, and whether they were really Anunnaki, I think that's more of a, a history term and a pop culture term. They could have been just different giants uh, from other uh, interdimensional uh, travelers. But they were not uh, friendly, to say the least. And uh, they were collecting all sorts of things here. And when their craft had crashed outside of uh, Virginia there, uh, right outside of DC, and uh, I was privy to that information. And I think that should be more explored because there, I think there's multiple races out there that people are getting confused uh, with. Um, when people come up to me and hear at the meeting, and no offense, and they say, I'm Pleiadian. Well, it's nice to meet you, but does anyone know how big the Pleiades star system is? Super massive. Okay, we're talking, you know, millions of uh, planets and stars. Trillions. Yeah, trillions. Yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> So you're, you're, you're basically saying, yeah, we're from Earth, but look at the multi-races that we have here on Earth. We all intermingle here. And believe me, out in space, they're intermingling too. Yeah. <laughs> so we all have a little bit of DNA from all over the universe in us. That's right. Uh, and there's a lot of that DNA that's been hidden, so I'm glad that Billy brought that up. 
and damage because uh, that needs to be explored and we need to push more forward into releasing that information. Thank you, Emery. Emery, you're speaking this weekend. Yeah, I'll be speaking uh, tomorrow. Uh, I mean, no, Saturday, uh, Sunday at two o'clock and uh, Monday at two o'clock with a very special guest that I'm gonna be having on board. A lot of you know he's in the audience right now. No, he was. He was. He got bored. He got bored. He, got, uh, <laughs> he, got he had enough of Danion. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Emery Smith. Emery Smith. Danion, in, in all seriousness, uh, and, and we listen and respect you so much, but if there was something that this, this audience uh, should focus on, the one secret of ancient history that needs to be spoken about, what would it be? It would be just two places. Speak into the microphone, Dan. I mean, first, we're not the first ones here, okay? And I think that what really has to be focused on is our religious view of who we are, okay? Because right now there's a patent that some guy just put out on an anti-gravity spaceship shaped like a, like a triangle. It's identical to the ones that they were flying over over Scottsdale, okay? Same one. Now it's a patent, and they're building anti-gravity. Okay, what's this propulsion system? Okay, if we had if we had extraterrestrials, and it's just like, like Billy says, everybody knows that they, they have been here. Everybody in the military knows. You know, they everybody knows this stuff. Ours is looking at what happens to our fossil fuel industry. What happens to electromagnetic and anti-gravity as transportation? And what happens to our religious structure that controls literally every psychology we have about who we are spiritually and the possibility of something happen exactly what William was describing, cataclysmic, and all the diversity of what's happening of us being integrated into this mindset is as ancient a tradition and story being told over and over again about controlling, about creating a, a group of people either to excel in situations or to be pulled down in situations, even the story of the flood. So what's so important, everybody? We are great, powerful, and mighty spiritual beings with dignity, direction, and purpose. And all that other stuff, we come here to participate in a program <coughs> designed to teach us how to grow and be empathetic and compassionate. And are there extraterrestrials and interdimensional beings? There is no question that has to be true because you are an interdimensional being. That's why you sleep half of your life away. You are an interdimensional being and you have a lot of business going on in a lot of other places. And some of them are more fun than this, but not many are more entertaining than this. Daniel Franklin. Daniel is speaking this weekend. What are you doing? I'll speak on the panel with George uh, tomorrow. And then on, and please, everybody, if you can be here tomorrow night for the talent show, Expo's Got Talent. And there's an award ceremony. And then I'd speak on 4 to 5.30 on Sunday. So my, I said I wrote that I barely escaped hell for the fourth time since I had open heart surgery. So if you want to make sure you don't go to hell, please don't miss my presentation. <laughs> Daniel Brinkley, thank you so much, sir. Scott Walter, I'll say it again. Welcome to the Conscious Life Expo.
Welcome to the family. Uh, once you're in, uh, you can't get away. I'm just Whoa. letting you know now. Scott, if there's one thing, this is what you do. This is this is what you do. You're presenting this to us. But if there is one thing, would it be Knights Templar? Would it be Atlantis? That's the other A word. You said aliens earlier tonight. But what would it be? What's the what's the ancient secret that we need to be aware of? Oh my God! There's so many. Um, it's hard. It's hard to pick, and I. I'm really impressed with everybody here on this panel, and I appreciate being here. There's some pretty profound things that have been said, but I got to stick with the Templars. And I guess if there's one thing that needs to be brought out, which I will talk about in detail tomorrow, is the real story about how this country was founded. And I think one of the things that's really important that nobody ever talks about they love, they love the sexy story about the Templars and the swords and and the, the tower, the technology, and all those things. But I think it's important to realize that none of that would have happened without the assistance of uh, their brethren, as they called them, the indigenous people on this continent. Because um, I can guarantee you the Templars wouldn't have done a thing, or anybody else in the past, um, if they didn't have cooperation with, uh, with the native people here. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's a lot there. That's a huge thing that has uh, really only just scratched the surface. So I think that's important that we give an opportunity for them to speak because it's been kind of a tough, tough ride since we came over here. And um, somebody needs to, first of all, acknowledge that, apologize, and then we move forward. Because I, I can tell you, that's the only way forward. They have a lot to share. Yes. They do. And it's not that difficult. Just say it and let's move on and, and make great things happen. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., I will be up because I'm going to introduce Scott Walter in the Los Angeles room upstairs. Yes. Come and hang out with us tomorrow morning. It's going to be great. You It'll are going to learn something. Absolutely. Scott, say it. I'm going to reveal something for the very first time. I am going to reveal something for the very first time. I say that to you all the time, yes, and I do it. You do. You never let us down. Thank you so much. Thank Scott you, Walter. Thank Scott you. Walter, welcome. Jason. Yeah, you're, so, the, you're the pillar of knowledge, man. The pillar of knowledge. Well, you know what? I'm not going to go too far ancient on this one. I just pulled this out of my back pocket because I do think it's relevant and interesting. And you're saying UFOs. So, uh, <laughs> one of the topics that I've actually latched onto, and I've held this one for about 12 years now. There was a gentleman that released it on some GeoCities free website pages 12 years ago and uh, went on our bell and then kind of disappeared, and then the websites disappeared. I saved those pages and I've had them for 12 years. Lyndon and probably a few other people are familiar with the story, but there was this guy that came out talking about, oh, I know what all these drones are flying around are. And there were these like really... Oh, the dragonfly. The dragonfly. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, so, here we go. There's a really yeah. interesting story that evolved out of that. Was the Don't get Linda started. <laughs> I'm going to give you the it's Twitter version. It's a big story. I'm going to give you the Twitter version. Uh, <laughs> basically, this gentleman explained that he was working in Silicon Valley reverse engineering alien technology as a cover front where physicists and scientists were trying to reverse engineer this really complex alien language. Isaac. Yes. And they found out that um, using computer programmers and people who wrote uh, computer code and computer language were having more success making inroads with this language. Um, 
so I thought it was really interesting on two fronts. One, the realization that, that this gentleman worked, um, I believe it was in the NSA, forgive me if I'm wrong, the organization, but he was not a military background, but did have the security clearances to work for these companies, and that still applies today. Any one of us as civilians can acquire security clearances and go to work on this technology. The piece of the technology that really resonated with me was that he explained that up till this point, most of the time with anti-gravitic technology, we look at a UFO, Bob Lazar's technology, it's usually encompassing some type of a field around the craft or allowing it to go into a focused spot really you know, fast, being pulled. Tumble. But what he, but yes, but what he also explained, which I'd never heard before, was that this gra uh, gravity, this amplifier there, reverse engineering, allowed the gravity to be very focused into certain areas so that if you had multiple pieces of a craft, instead of holding it together with rivets and screws, you could use focused gravity beams. Right. And that unbreakable bond would never, no matter what the circumstances, come apart. Mm. And in real time, if you wanted to change the shape of the craft, you're just shifting the energy pattern and the objects would be able to realign. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. So, to me, I realized wow. that, you know, for us, ever since the F-117 and the B-2 stealth bomber, they really haven't released anything. But we know there's this space force <laughs> that Trump has, you know, officially put out into the media. We've known for a long time that the black budget is most likely SNASA, right? <laughs> a secret NASA that's been going on for quite some time. So, um, our Navy, Jake. Yeah, our Navy. Our Navy doesn't just build ships of fleets. They day before yesterday, they couldn't find twenty-eight trillion dollars. Twenty-eight trillion. Listen, this was day before yesterday. The DOD said they are double. Ought to take double position, twenty-eight trillion dollars, and you wonder if we have a space program. <laughs> yeah, and so to wrap up my point exactly, Danny, is I just I think I would hope that the next evolution in craft we're about to see, this Solar Warden Aurora, you know, there's all this craft, the triangular, tier three B. So I'm hoping that the next evolution is about to come out, and and some of these tidbits of of data that we've gotten. We'll see this now in action, and when we, we won't be like too dumbfounded, it'll make sense, and we'll be able to move forward, hopefully, into a new space-faring part of our civilization. So I'm excited. Thank you, Jason. When are you speaking this weekend? I already spoke oh, uh, right today on artificial now. intelligence. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yes, yeah. Thank you for reminding me that you did <laughs> tell you me get that. The video. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah, it's available now in this wonderful site called Gaia that streams everything. So. That's right. Cool. Billy Carson. Billy. The community is just blown away, and and you uh, have spent the last few years, and I remember when all of this kind of kicked off, and, and I'm proud of what you have done, and of course with us, and uh, Fade to Black, Coast to Coast, this, the Conscious Life Expo, other events around the world, what mm -hmm. you do now with Gaia, yeah. but it's been extraordinary, and we love what you're doing, man. Thank, Thank you. you so much. It's serious. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's been a great ride, man. So bring it. If there is one thing that you need to, you've done enough. If there is one thing that, <laughs> that needs to be brought forward, that yeah. ancient secret that you want us to be aware of, what is it? Well, you know, I've spent the last now three years traveling the world two and a half times. I've been around the world two and a half times. I haven't been to 90 countries yet, but I'm working on it. I'm getting there very quickly. And uh, I just got back from the bush in Australia, went eight miles out into the bush in Australia. And uh, down there, it was there, like last week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, I was out there with this fires all around and everything else, trying to document ancient sites before the fires took them. Because we had just missed a cave painting that was estimated to be about 8,000 years old. That was destroyed by the fires. So we missed that on that one. Poor, it was poorly documented, very, very grainy photos. No, nobody really took a, a good look at it with some but high quality it's footage. It's gone. So I got out to this other place, which is actually, to me, a little more important, called Carryong 9, uh, which I have been talking about on George Norrie's Coast to Coast and everything else for many years now. I found out about this place in 2013 uh, from two uh, guys who went out there who had been uh, kind of taken in by the, the Aboriginal elders and given access to this land where these uh, proto-Egyptian hieroglyphs exist. Uh, out there in Gosford, and it's really an amazing place, and it's very hard to get to them. People get lost out there all the time. Matter of fact, when we were out there, we decided to camp out on a cliff face, and this couple had stumbled into the area from up behind us. They had been out there for about a day and a half, lost, and what was really amazing was the guy looked at me, and he goes, oh my God, mate, that's Billy Carson. <laughs> I just bought your book. But we got that on tape. We took a selfie and everything. We helped them get out of there. So but that's why you're saying tonight, Australia is where it's at. Well, Australia has Thoth, you know, this same ibis bird-headed man uh, etched into the stone, a massive glyph of him in the stone with uh, a spaceship flying through the Milky Way galaxy. And no matter where I go in the, in the world, I always find this character, which is really amazing. And uh, the fact that these glyphs are out there and the story, I'll end this now, there's a story uh, of two brothers who went there from Egypt to get wisdom and knowledge from the, from the Aborigines. One got bit by a snake and died. The brother then mummified him and took him back to Egypt. When I got to Egypt in 2014, the story of them returning was in the glyphs in, at Abu Simbel. And that's what made me want to go to Australia to document this area. And we've now done an excellent documentation of it. And it's really showcasing that Ancient Egyptians were a part of this culture that was a global civilization at one point that traveled the world and they actually went to Australia on a f uh, frequent basis for 4,000 years until about 400, 400 years ago they were banned from coming back because two, two uh, Egyptians had stole some stones, sacred stones. But that the Aboriginal elders uh, hold a key to a lot of esoteric and metaphysical knowledge and wisdom, multidimensional knowledge, and their verbal uh, history says they were brought here and seated here by the Pleiades. We're running out of time. Billy, thank Anki? you. No, and we're. Billy, who was Anki's brother? Dan, 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 Dan. We're, they're closing the room and down Lil. in 60 and seconds. Lil. Okay. <laughs> With that, when are you speaking this weekend? I'm speaking tomorrow at 8 p.m. and also Monday at. Tomorrow at 6 p.m. and Monday at 8 p.m. Linda, can you give me a 15 second answer? 15 seconds. Oh, no. What's the one secret? Self-activating software is the most important part of the UFO technology and for you to realize it would be as if the floor, the supports, the ceiling, the table, everything was programmed at an atomic and molecular level. To do something. And that the craft, right. the beings are all molecularly designed and that's the, the key. And that the bismuth magnesium zinc that I have been trying to get to the bottom of for the last 22 years, I'm going to be doing a two and a, I think it's two hour plus uh, workshop on Monday. And I think it's one of the most significant things that's ever been discovered because the more I understand it, the more I begin to see why 
it was where it was. Uh, the other thing is tomorrow I'm doing an update on the Spartan One, and that I continue to get astounding information about huge, gigantic structures deep under the ice in Antarctica from more than one seal, and it goes right back to the self-activating software which Isaac introduced when we have the dragon. Well, you have there. a whole report yeah, on but, Earth files about this. Yeah, but just circle back that self-activating software mm. is where all of this is headed. Wow. And that those structures in Antarctica to sustain two miles of ice above them, they're not connected to the matter. And when you have a Navy SEAL say, I stood, Linda, the ceiling was 80 feet high above me. There's no supports. He said, well, the only thing we could conclude is it's self-activating software that is neutralizing gravity, which then means that it is like some sort of a separation from the matter world. The ice, two miles of ice, would crush anything we'd build. And they've got 80 feet. 80 tons. 80 feet high oh. ceiling. Well, the doors are how many tons? Well, uh, in there were uh, 23 feet by 18 feet by, I think it was 17, so they're massive. And that the basalt, it means that it would have to have been worked at the atomic level. I could hang out with Linda all night. I'm just like, <laughs> Linda Moulton has tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll be uh, introducing uh, Linda in Los Angeles, uh, A or B. But uh, come see us uh, tomorrow afternoon, B. William, last, last, last run of the night. And thank you for everything thank that you. you have done for us. Thank you, Jimmy. Let's give it to Jimmy. Yeah. What's the one thing that you want us to realize? The most direct, irrefutable evidence of extraterrestrial intervention in human affairs is your body. Learn what it can do. Mm -hmm. They didn't create us as a slaver. They created us to be like them, to follow in their footsteps, become celestial beings. Tomorrow, I'll be giving a talk on AI and the new humanity, which is, represents your choice. You're either going to get more immersed and more enmeshed in AI, or you're going to develop your spiritual light body and learn the ancient secrets of ascension brought here by the Anunnaki. That's where we're at right now. So tomorrow, or excuse me, Sunday at uh, 12.30, and then Monday I'll be giving a post-con workshop on the art of living ascension, the art and science of living ascension. What a way to kick off our Friday night everybody to stand up. I'm going to bring all of our panelists out front to take a bow. Give it up. Come on out. Emery Smith, come on out front. Emery Smith, Daniel Brinkley, come on out front. Scott Wolker, come on out. Jason Martell, come on. Linda, the panel has ended. Come on out front. William Henry, come out front. Take a bow. What an incredible night. Emily, thank you so much. And your host, Jimmy Church, what a great night. Canyon, Scott, Jason, my brother, Billy Carson, the finest dressed man at the Conscious Life Expo. Who am I leaving out? Where's Linda? Linda, take him out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Linda Moulton Powell, everybody. William Henry.
<laughs> yeah. What name? Dana. D-A-N-A? D-A-N-A. And I was impressed about your upbringing, how you... Yeah, thank you. Oh, 
I just say what I feel, you know, everybody's got to have their own. Hey, everyone, this is Billy Carson, also known as Forbidden Knowledge. Uh, quick public service announcement. I will be at the I Magi Nation workshop in Brooklyn, New York, May 23rd, 2020. It's going to be absolutely amazing. You're going to want to go to uh, the link in my bio or click on ForbiddenKnowledge.com with the number 4-4-B-I-D-D-E-N, knowledge.com and register for the uh, event. It's going to be an amazing six-hour workshop covering topics such as pineal gland activation, Merkaba meditations, Merkaba quantum light walking, conscious light, brain-heart coherence, and so much more. It's going to be in-depth workshop. We're also going to tap into advanced manifestation techniques. It's going to be a mind-blowing event. That's going to be May 23rd, 2020 at St. Francis College in Brooklyn, New York. Again, you're not going to want to miss it. The tickets are up on Eventbrite, and they are selling out very, very quick. Peace and love from Forbidden Knowledge. This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right, one year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30 days free. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today.